I'm going to tackle a very controversial, I right away want to warn you, some of you will disagree with me on that. And that's okay. I just ask you that you open your mind and that you go in the scriptures with me and that for those of you who are huge evangelists of your position, that you study it a little bit more because high chances are you don't know or don't have a scriptural basis for the practice that some of you hold. This one is going to start with cosmic conflict. So I'm going to title this topic Cosmic Conflict. I'm going to deal with second heaven warfare. My stance on it, and I'm going to tell you that from the beginning, for you not to dabble in that. And then in the next session, I'm going to deal with what you and I were called to do, and that is to fight demons and remove them out of people, not to remove demons out of territories. In a nutshell, that's what I'm going to say. I was involved in the beginning of our ministry in the second heaven warfare. How that looks like is Friday night, because something is magic about Friday night. 12 o'clock, I don't know where I heard about 12 o'clock, but something about 12 o'clock and witches and portals. And, um, and so what we would do in a, be, being a youth pastor is we would gather all of the youth and on Friday night, we would sometimes take a time of fast and we would go and attack principalities. We would fight against this ruling spirits of our regions, believing that that's where the secret of revival is at. So of course, yell, scream, you know, do the whole nine yards, curse them. And I mean, literally like we're little punks, you know, 15 year olds, but we already like bow, bow, you know, like shoot, sh shoot at them. And of course, and uh, then it, we upgraded our authority by buying virgin oil and then going to clubs and pouring it in front of the clubs, closing the portals. So really, you know, deep stuff that only deep people understand. And, th and then it got to a little bit deeper where we did the seven-day march. And then you, you march on the seven days seven times uh, and then you, you make a shout so that the walls will come down. We didn't want the physical walls to come down, but we wouldn't mind if they did. And so we would break the walls down in the spirit realm so that we could finally penetrate our community. Now, does it work? Absolutely not. It didn't work for us. 99% of those of you who do that, it makes no difference in your community. The only thing it does, it actually creates a problem for you personally. I've witnessed majority, I'm not saying every person, majority of people who are involved in second heaven warfare have needless casualties. They could have avoided. These casualties show up in their finances. These casualties show up in their car accidents that God did not license. They simply, I believe, again, we can disagree on that, but I believe it's stepping out of your jurisdiction. So what I'm going to do in this is I'm going to take you from the beginning and share with you 10 simple thoughts about principalities. I will give you notes, so you're going to have to kind of work with me and I'm also going to talk mainly. I'm not going to preach, meaning I'm not going to scream. So for some of you, like, praise God. Um, 
And so for others of you who need to stay awake, I apologize. You might have to just re-listen to that, take a nap. God bless you. I will not judge you. All right. I want us to read Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8 in a translation ESV. We will have verses, uh, hopefully, on the back with us. Amen. Deuteronomy 32, verse 8. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when He divided mankind, He fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But to the Lord's portion is His people. Jacob, his allotted inheritance. Now, I'm going to read to you NLT translation. This is very important because this is going to set up the foundation of where the principalities came from. Now, this is one of the views. We don't know 100% for sure, but based on this verse, I'm going to draw my conclusion. And NLT says the following, the Most High assigned lands to the nations when He divided up the human race. He established the boundaries of the peoples according to the number in His heavenly court. This is going to make sense in just a moment. Point number one, God scattered everyone over the face of the earth. So write that down. I'm going to just build layer upon layer. God scattered everyone over the face of all the earth. Genesis 11:9 it says the following, therefore its name is called Babel because the Lord has confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Point number two, God divided nations and gave them to His sons. God divided nations and gave them to His sons. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verses 8 and 9, I'm going to read again. Then the Lord God gave to the nations their inheritance and when He divided mankind, He fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is His people. Jacob has allotted heritage. So, Deuteronomy says that when God scattered the nations, He divided them and He put His sons, Elohim, this is not speaking about Jacob's sons, God's sons who are part of His divine council in charge of the nations. We read in Genesis that it was God who scattered people abroad and He made nations. In Deuteronomy, we get a curtain being pulled away and we see that God, now some of the New King James says that God allotted to the sons of Jacob. That's not a proper translation. The original translation and it's corrected and some of you have a footnote in your Bible where it says the sons of God, not the sons of Jacob. And then in the original language it says the sons of God. So, 
And Dr. Michael Heiser has a book called Unseen Realm where he explains that way deeper. He kind of popularized that view. And I'm going to pretty much kind of go on that train of thought. There was more than one rebellion. Not only the rebellion of Satan rebelling against God, most likely there was second rebellion in Genesis chapter 6 where the sons of God left their domain and slept with women, women and they got locked in this particular place. And there was probably a third rebellion. This is the rebellion that again, I'm using the words maybe and probably because we don't know 100% sure. Based on this verse, I take this stance and it's going to make sense a little bit more right now when we go to the New Testament. The third rebellion, Michael Heiser, Dr. Michael Heiser argues for that is that God puts His sons from His divine counsel over different nations of the world, which makes sense in Deuteronomy worldview where the Bible says He divides the nations and He puts His sons over it, but He Himself takes Jacob as His inheritance. Now why would God do that? Because God was planning to use a nation to bring a seed of a woman who will crush the head of the serpent. But God puts the nations under the rulership of His sons. Who are His sons? They are these divine beings in His divine counsel. Point number three. God's sons, Elohim or gods, who were assigned to those nations became corrupt. They refused to judge, they became abusing, and they enslaved and tried to seduce even Israel from their God. Psalm 82 verses 1 and 2 ESV. God has taken His place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, He holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Psalm 82 verses 6 and 7. I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Now there's different arguments. Some people say that this verse speaks of us as humans. I will beg differ that this is speaking to Elohims. This is speaking to gods, the sons of God because the same is used for when Satan came in the presence of God, the Bible says that the sons of God were there, you and I were not there. So it speaks of some other beings, supernatural celestial beings who are part of God's divine counsel, God's spiritual family. So God not only has a human family, God also has a spiritual family and they're composed in His counsel. So God takes a place in His counsel and God starts rebuking his sons and says pretty much, you're not fulfilling your duties over those nations. Now, read the history. What happened to every nation? Is every nation started to worship different myth. We call it myths. They were not myths. Every nation that was under a spiritual being assigned by God that spiritual being, a spiritual son of God, started to teach those nations instead of worshiping God, to worship them. And not only to worship them, that's where the Greek mythology, 
That's where the Chinese mythology came. None of them were fake stuff. These are real demonic principalities filling the nations they are responsible over with their doctrine to distract creation from their Creator and to worship them. So God in His counsel, I'm going to read that verse again. Psalm 82 verses 1, God has taken His place in a divine counsel. In the midst of the gods He holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? God is rebuking His sons. He's saying, you went rogue. He said, what you did was wrong. You were not assigned over those nations to do that. And then He says, you will die like mortals. We all are going to die like mortals. That's not a punishment to us because we're all fallen already. So I do believe that it's speaking of some other celestial beings that the Lord is rebuking and saying that their doom is going to come. What I want you to notice is He doesn't remove them from their position. He rebukes them, He judges them, but they're not removed. So let's go to point number four. God's sons, the spiritual sons in Deuteronomy chapter 2, led the nations to worship them instead of God. As I mentioned that, let's read the verse. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verses 16 and 17. They provoked Him, God, to jealousy with foreign gods. With abominations they provoked Him to anger. They sacrificed to demons, not to God. To gods they did not know. To new gods, new arrivals that your fathers did not fear. So not only these gods taught the nations witchcraft, taught the nations immorality, taught the nations to worship them, these gods infringed into God's territory Israel to try to seduce God's people that the Lord was over so that they will worship them instead of Him. And God comes to the children of Israel and He says, you guys worship, I want you to notice, He's not talking about some statues. He says, you worship gods, new gods and new arrivals. These are not just myths. These are spiritual entities so powerful. They're not entering people in here. They're they're twisting their worldview, they're mixing their worship and they're drawing their allegiance to themselves. Number six, number, number five, I apologize, number five, thank you for keeping score. I was just checking if you guys were writing it down. No takers are history makers, come on somebody. Number five. God judged the gods of Egypt for mistreating His children. God judged the gods of Egypt for mistreating His children. If the gods of Egypt were mere idols, Moses could have just hit them with his hammer. These were not idols, meaning just a human make. There were forces behind them 
that God executes judgment on. Uh, Exodus chapter 12, verse 12, it says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both men and the beast. And I want you to see this. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. Now, if you study the history of Egypt, and last year me and my wife had a chance to go and visit is, uh, Egypt and uh, spend our vacation, you know, study all their uh, weird gods and pharaohs and, and all of that stuff. Egypt had gods that they worshiped. If you look at every plague, do the research. Every plague God did was a direct assault on one of Egypt's gods. God raw, you know, the God of light, God brought darkness. Frogs was one of their gods. God brought the frogs on them. Nile was another one and then God polluted that. God says, I brought judgment on all. One of the reasons there was 10 of those plagues is because they had more than one God. And God wanted to make sure every God of Egypt gets a black eye. But I want you to notice this. God went to war against gods. God went to war against those, I believe they were sons who rebelled and who started to draw those nations to worship them. Now we can disagree on the logistics of it. Once we get to heaven, we'll get all of that stuff squared away. But we're looking through the thick glass and we are seeing that sons of God were placed over the nations. We study the history, we see the nations didn't worship God, they worship weird stuff and they worship them with zealousy and allegiance. And so it's almost like there was a spiritual pool for the nations to worship these weird ideas. I'm currently in a Bible seminary, so I am studying world history and, and, it, and it's just, it's amazing how devoted they were to these ideas and they all are not very far away from some of the biblical concepts because I believe these gods copied. They duplicated and everything was about them. And then we're seeing Israel gets harassed. God's people were in Deuteronomy. God says, but Israel will become my, I will be responsible for them. Israel gets harassed. God doesn't just go and deliver them. God goes in and smacks gods of Egypt. That's why when you read Exodus, I want you to read it with the new lens. It was a battle of the gods. He wasn't just delivering. He was also inflicting judgment. They were not removed, those gods. They were judged because they still remained in Egypt as those gods. If you study the history, you will see that Egypt continued to worship those gods even afterwards, but they did receive a black eye. Number six, territorial principalities oppose God's work on the earth. Territorial principalities oppose God's work on the earth. Daniel chapter 10 verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I have been left alone there with the kings 
of Persia. Chapter 10, verse 20. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? Now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed the prince of Greece will come. Again, we see that Persia and Greece were nations. The archangel of God doesn't have a struggle against a human being. We see one angel attacks an Assyrian army and over 180 something soldiers go gone. To tell us that a spiritual, powerful angel of God was wrestling with a human being for 21 days doesn't make sense. Unless he wasn't fighting with a human being. And most theologians and scholars agree. This was a spirit, a territorial God behind the Persian Empire. Which would make sense why they were successful. Greece, which would make sense why they were so effective. And you look at all of those nations, you will always see one common thing. They had their religion. And those gods, those spirits were empowered over those territories by the worship they received from the people they ruled. And the reason why there is a wrestling match is because they have legal jurisdiction first given by God and now reinforced by people's allegiance. That even God's top dog has a difficult time penetrating. Because once it's given by God and reinforced by people's allegiance, that's like, you know, let's say you were married and your husband leaves you, your wife leaves you, divorces you and goes marries somebody else legally and they want to be with them. You can't just come back and say, well, you're my spouse. Doesn't work. There's a legal binding and there's an emotional connection there already for which you have no jurisdiction. So this would now make sense why Daniel is praying and fasting and the archangel comes in who literally, I mean, these angels can move mountains with like fingers like this and he says, I've been wrestling. And then when I'm done, he says, I'm going to wrestle with another one. We're going to have to push through God's agenda because they're opposing God's work. Now, let's go just a little bit further. Number seven. Now, this is going to get good. Jesus' death disarmed legally the principalities over the nations. Mm. This is so excited. What's going on? All right. So, in Luke chapter 4, verse 6, the Bible says, The devil said to him, Look at this, all the authority over the nations I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. 
from Eden until Jesus' arrival, Satan has been accumulating power. He merged all of God's rebellious rogue sons together. Somehow, he was able to have enough of accumulating power that he could offer Jesus access to every nation. But Jesus knew that the devil is lying and you can't get the nations by bowing to the devil because then you are going to be under demonic spell. It's exactly what happened to Adam. Jesus had a different way. He was fulfilling a prophecy in Genesis 3.15 where Adam and Eve committed sin, God initiated a plan. And he said, he spoke to the serpent and he says, out of a seed of a woman, which is interesting because the word seed there is a sperm. A woman doesn't have a sperm. A man has a seed, a woman has an egg. So God is right away instituting how his son will come. He will come out of a seed of a woman. Meaning it will be divinely planted. It will be a virgin birth. Genesis 3.15, God says, seed of a woman, He said, it will crush the head. Place of rulership, a place of authority, a place of legal right. He says, He will bruise the head of a serpent. But God also said there will be a price for that. He says, but He, the snake, will bruise His heel. Meaning that there will be retaliation against the one who will come for the legal keys of the nations. That's why people who walk around say, I'm going to attack principalities. There's going to be retaliation. You can't do that. Somebody already did that. And it cost him his life. Death on the cross. I always stop, Pastor De Death on the cross was only Jesus dying for my sin and God putting my sin on Jesus. I never saw another facet that on the cross He was being bruised also by the dragon. No wonder it was Judas whom the devil put in his heart to betray Christ. No wonder Corinthians says, if the rulers of this world would know that on that cross, it was their keys they're going to get snatched. They wouldn't crucify. They were blinded by their pride. They were blinded by their vengeance against the Son of God. They didn't see while they were bruising His heel, He was crushing their skull. Jesus is a dragon slayer. And you are a demon slayer. Come on somebody. Drop this in your notes. This is hot from the press. The reason I am a demon slayer is because Jesus is a dragon slayer. Now Colossians chapter 2 verse 15, it says, Having disarmed principalities and powers, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Have you noticed he didn't say having disarmed demons? We're dealing with the gods of the nations. 
we're dealing with ruling principalities over the nations who have been assigned by God in their place. Number two, who have been reinforced by the allegiance of the nations that worship them. And now, fully God and fully man, bruised by the serpent, crushes the head of the serpent, takes the keys from the serpent, takes the legal right. Why? Because see, humanity were given the authority over the earth, not Satan. Humanity through sin turns over that authority over the earth and now it's given to him and now a human takes that authority back. His name is Jesus, who is also fully God. Now, something, th this is exciting. The number eight. Jesus now holds all the legal authority over the nations. Therefore, He sends us to claim them for God. Do you know how the Great Commission starts? It doesn't start with go. It starts with this, all authority have been given to me. Now, go to the nations and claim them for me. Why? The principalities are there, but now they are not in their legal position. Have you noticed Christ did not say, all the authority have been given to me, now go and bind them. He didn't say, go and wage war against them. He said, that war I fought. You are my ground troops. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Why? Because I disarmed the rulers of the nations. All the authority has been given to me now. Before his death, he barely went to any nations. Israel was never given an assignment to convert nations because those nations were given to God's sons. Now that God's son, Jesus Christ, disarmed principalities, he claimed all the authority and now he says, I want you to reclaim the nations for me. How do you do that? Go, make disciples, baptizing, and teaching. I don't see one instruction in there for second, hand, second, war, second heaven warfare. Authority over the nations now belongs to Jesus. Principalities don't have legal jurisdiction, but they still have rulership because of the allegiance of people. What gives them rulership over the nations is not legal authority, it is allegiance of people. That's why you don't need to be breaking authority. That's broken. You need to shrink their domain by getting people from darkness into light. And that's not done in a secret closet. 
that's done through go and make disciples. As you get more people into Jesus, their domain shrinks. Why? Because now the only reason they stay in power is because of people that give them allegiance. As you sway people away, they can't fight you back because they are not legitimate. Now, they will try to attack you because they're still evil. But you have Jesus' green light to go to the nations of the world. Nations that have witchcraft. Nations that are pagan. Nations that have demonic infiltration. And win souls. Make disciples. Plant churches. Raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers. And drive out demons. Come on somebody. Write this down. It's still under point eight. Preaching the gospel is the greatest form of spiritual warfare. Preaching the gospel is the greatest form of spiritual warfare. When the principalities see Christian minions invading their territory, and pulling one after another, boldly. This is another death blow of the cross. That's why Christians invaded Rome by preaching the gospel. They spread Christianity, they drove out into exile the principalities of those nations. They weakened them so much by what? Preaching the gospel. Now with the preaching of the gospel came signs and wonders. But please understand, Jesus defeated them, disarmed them. And He, because of that, I want you to never look at the Great Commission the same way. He first started with authority over the nations. And then the Great Commission was birthed. Otherwise, what we would be doing is intruding illegally into the enemy's territory. Now, we are reclaiming for the rightful King, Jesus Christ. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every, not principality, but every thought into the captivity, into the obedience of Christ. Corinthians 2, uh, 10, verses four and five. We destroy the work of the principality by bringing people to Christ. Write that down. We destroy the works of principality by bringing people to Christ. Daniel did not fight the prince of Persia. Daniel did not fight the prince of Persia when he fasted for his people. God's top dog fought the prince of Persia. The recipe for revival for your city is not engaging in second-hand war, second-heaven warfare. I'm going to give you the recipe that has been used for Christians for the last 2,000 and even more years. 
Second Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14. And if my people get virgin oil and anoint all the nightclubs in their city, if they gather on Friday at midnight and close the portals to demonic principalities, then everything will turn around in their cities. Their churches will grow. Their children will come back home and their finances will prosper and I will heal their land. Sorry, that was the charismatic version of it. If my people called by my name will and what? And what? And what? Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive not their city's sin first, their own sin. And I will what? Heal their land. This has been the recipe of great awakenings in America. This has been the recipe for our revival in Argentina. This has been the recipe for the revivals in Africa. If you track revivals, you will see deep travail and intercession with fasting and repentance. This thing that many of us feel like, oh, but we know better. Do you know better than the Bible? The fruits show for themselves. The people who do that, their cities aren't changed. The cities aren't changed. The cities aren't transformed. There's no massive revival happening in the region. For those of you who are, do, who are doing that back at home, you're not seeing the fruit you're claiming it should bring. And based on God's Word, I will go on the limb to say you are outside of your jurisdiction. And most likely, this is not to judge anybody, but slightly judge. You're not winning souls. You're not making disciples, you're not healing the sick, you're not casting out demons, and you're not living as a Christian. You're focused more on fighting enemies. Jesus says, I got them already. I give you the keys to go reclaim the nations. And the things He tells us to do, we don't do. And things He doesn't tell us to do, we do. Thinking, we got some secret sauce. I know. It's because we watch the YouTube preachers who went trips upstairs and they found some secrets that nobody else knows. Any wisdom, mysticism and secrets that do not line up with the basics of the gospel and do not line up with church history should be treaded very carefully. I'm not saying they're demonic or wrong. What I'm saying is stay close to the orthodoxy of Christian basic theology. Anytime you go too deep into the extreme, based on the secret somebody received with their visit from God, and that pushes you to do things that the Bible doesn't give you clear instructions to do. And usually those people with those visits upstairs pull scripture out of context and they turn Christians into principality hunters instead of soul winners and disciples of men. Paul was teaching Timothy 
about praying for the region. Now, Paul took trips upstairs. When I say upstairs, I mean to another realm. So I don't mean like physically upstairs. So if there is somebody who's been there, heard things that couldn't be uttered, it was Paul. Paul knew the spiritual realm. He's the one that wrote, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But I want you to notice his instruction for regional revival to Timothy. First Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. Therefore I exhort first of all the supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who gives, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Interesting. Not one reference about second heaven warfare. Did he miss something? Did he have a secret he didn't tell us? Or are we are treading on a territory we have no jurisdiction over. When Jesus wept over Jerusalem, interestingly, He didn't bind principality over Jerusalem. When He sent people to different cities, His disciples, He didn't say, make sure you first wage war against the principalities and only then go preach the gospel. He never told them that. What I'm telling us is this. Keep it simple. Saints, kiss principle. Keep it simple, saints. Amen. I don't call you stupid because we ain't stupid, right? We were saints. Come on, somebody. In other words, keep it simple, soldier. There is no secret sauce to conquer your nation, your city, except the simple basic of my people. I have the authority, go and make disciples. It's one soul at a time. We pull from the claws of the principalities and bring them to the cause of Christ. Now, I know you may think, well, that sounds very convincing. I'm still not convinced. Because Ephesians chapter 6, well, I'm so glad you're thinking about that. Number nine, our authority against the ruling principality is limited to self-defense not direct confrontation on their domain. Let me say that again. Our authority is limited to self-defense, not direct confrontation on their domain. So this is how it works. So there are civilians and there are police officers. Now a police officer can come and arrest a criminal, and, but even a police officer cannot go on a shooting spree. It's illegal. You, same thing. You cannot kill somebody because you have a gun. Now, how many of you would, you know that that's how it works. Just because you have a weapon and just because maybe you were a Marine or you were special forces, it doesn't give you license to shoot everything that moves. The moment you use the power and the experience you have to feel cocky and to say, well, well. In war, you know, and I have a person on our team who leads a security team who was um, in a very upper echelon of a U.S. military who has quite few um, bad people's heads 
removed from their bodies in his military. Godly man, very quiet, but very, very lethal. Dangerous. Yeah, we, I sometimes warn people who come with bad intention. I said, wrong church. I said, you better have a death certificate on your head because you, you're not coming out alive if you even dare to do something. But anyway, he has no right, no right, even though he was military, he's trained to shoot very precisely. He's a sniper. He has no authority to go on the street and shoot someone because he can. His authority as a civilian is limited to one thing, self-defense. Now if you attack him, he will fight back. He will never initiate the attack. That is how our authority is with principalities. Self-defense, not direct confrontation under domain. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 6. Read it carefully. He says, we don't, fight against, we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And then you would think he would say, and fight them back. He says, then stand your ground. What do you mean stand? I want to fight. He says, and then he says, stand three times. Stand your ground, meaning don't let them move you. And then he keeps talking about the armor of God, which is most of the pieces are for defense not offense. He uses one weapon for the offense. Interestingly, it's not a rifle, it's a dagger, which is daggers are only used for close combat. Meaning if the principality comes breathing on my neck, I am licensed to defend myself with the Word of God. But I do not have weapons in my arsenal to shoot them down. I can only stab up close. I cannot fight at a distance against them. I don't have the weaponry for it. So the only verse that we have for principalities has to do with the self-defense and most of our weapons are defensive and only one that's offensive and that's a, the word there for the sword is a dagger. You don't throw daggers, you use them up close. That means if the principality comes very close and you know something is attacking you, you can rebuke it as a self-defense mechanism. You don't go provoking the attack and initiating it because that is not your legal jurisdiction. Is this helping anybody? So Paul's Dealing with self-defense for principalities is first, stand your ground, live like a Christian, <laughs> very important, be in the Word and be in prayer. And even when you read about him talking about prayer, you would think, Paul, in dealing with principalities, look at what kind of prayer he's talking about. Ephesians 6, 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication. No prayer of warfare. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Many, hey, pray for the saints. And for me that the utterance might be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to declare the mystery of the gospel. 
no reference whatsoever to go and bind something there, to go directly confront something there. If a principality intrudes on my personal life, I am licensed the same way that if you attack me in my house to pull a rifle and to bring the end of you. That's the way it works. If the, and the principality knows that. So that's why they will sometimes intrude. But the moment you know that you can defend yourself, it's kind of like you're walking in a hiking trail and if the lion comes against, you don't go looking for the lion, you don't provoke the lion. But if he comes attack, attacks you, you have a knife and you have some kind of a, you know, a Glock and then you, you go shooting in self-defense. That's exactly what Paul referring to in principalities in Ephesians chapter 6. Is these illegal entities still rule over the nations as we go and we destroy their works by winning souls and making disciples. We live a life of prayer, fasting and consecration. And if they intrude on your life, you in self-defense can fight back. But what you don't do is you don't gather other 25 intercessors to try to bombard them with spiritual missiles at a distance of your Friday night 12 o'clock prayer meeting. We just don't see that in the Bible. And the last thing, are you ready for number 10? Yes. Now this is very good. For those of you who are like, man, but I just, I just want to fight them, lad. Just, man, you made it seem like, I don't want to fight them low demons. I'm a, my rank is higher in the realm of the low. Now, I do want to satisfy your appetite for blood. So let me satisfy that by the Bible. We will replace the ruling principalities to rule over the nations with Jesus in the eternal kingdom. Did you know they're currently fired from the job we're all going to get hired on? Do you know what we're going to do for eternity? Well, let's read. Matthew 24, 47. Assuredly, I say to you, he will make him a ruler over all his goods. These are dealing with faithful stewards. Matthew 25, 21, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things like doing video camera, doing ushering, being a security, preaching the gospel. You were faithful over those things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter the joy of your Lord. Second Timothy chapter 2, 12, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. Revelation 2, 26, he who overcomes and keeps my word until the end to him, I will give power over the nations. Ooh. Revelation chapter 20 verse 4, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. I believe these ruling principalities we will replace. Jesus will assign it to his redeemed sons that will never go rogue. They will lead the nations because, you know, heaven, the heaven we are going to is not the heaven we are going to stay in. Remember the Bible says the heaven like a Jerusalem will come down on the earth and God will have his dwelling with men. God will bring two realms together. And guess where he will set up his office? On the earth. And guess 
There's going to be life here. The people are going to live. And there's going to be stuff that's going to be happening, creation. I mean, all of this stuff. We're not just going to be in a forever, eternal, charismatic conference. God is not... There's going to be no more church, church buildings. We're all going to be creating, dominant, uh, having dominion and reigning with Christ. There's going to be cities. There's going to be work. You're not just going to be floating on the harp forever, singing one song. That song that is being sung, holy, holy, that's done by them angels. You're not an angel. We will always live in a worshipful attitude to our God, but we will also reign with Him. The Bible doesn't say just worship. We will reign. We will have responsibility. There, there's a reason why He will give us crowns. There's going to be ranks and there's going to be different things that we're going to do. And one of the things He will give to His redeemed sons and daughters is power over the nations. Because once these bad boys, principalities got kicked out, God's like, I got a vacant place. And my sons and daughters who've been washed by the blood, who have been faithful in driving out demons, they've been faithful serving at their local church, they've been tithing, so they've been living a life sacrificial to God, they've been loving their spouse, they've been raising their children, they've been faithful with the little. Let me entrust them with the region, let me entrust them with the nation, let me, let me entrust them over the neighborhood because these bad principalities are going to be completely removed, but actually they won't be removed, they will be replaced. And you and I will become the new sheriff in town who will direct everybody's worship to the Lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth. Come on somebody, rise on your feet right now. Give God some praise.